1: Welcome to the Terrible Podcast Season 14 Episode 82. He's Dave Brian. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Friday. Steelers Nation getting ready for championship weekend, deciding the two teams who will play in this year's Super Bowl in Las Vegas between the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, the San Francisco, San Francisco excuse me, 49ers, and Detroit Lions. So it should be an exciting weekend of football. Dave, exciting Friday start for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Some OC news coming in. A lot to recap. How you doing?
0: Yeah, we got uh, Shrine Bowl week kicking up. Got four people in uh, Frisco slash Dallas. Depot does Dallas. How about that? Mm. <laughs> that that reference probably went over your head there. Straight uh, over it. Okay. Uh, I'll have to explain that one to you off the air. People that got that reference probably are giggling uh, 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 pretty good right now. But, uh, yeah, uh, here we are. And, and is today the day where the uh, – Uh, Rooney bat signal goes up later this afternoon. I know we're close to end of January. Looking back at the calendar. You know, now, obviously, they went a week longer into the playoffs this time, but uh, generally around this time is when uh, Art Rooney II sum- summons um, uh, specific members of the media over to have kind uh, of his end-of-year wrap-up. So it'll be interesting to see if that takes place uh, later this afternoon. But, uh, yeah, we got a little bit to talk about today, right?
1: And let's start with the most recent news that came in Friday morning. The Pittsburgh Steelers are interviewing Houston Texans quarterbacks coach Gerard Johnson for their offensive coordinator vacancy that is happening today. Probably will be confirmed by the team later this evening. Johnson, a former Steelers quarterback, was in training camp with the team in 2012. Did not make the team. Former Texas A&M quarterback uh, back in his playing days. He's also been a coach for the Indianapolis Colts and Minnesota Vikings. A hot name this cycle, interviewing for multiple OC opportunities, Pittsburgh being the latest. So that is the uh, second official name, Thomas Brown, the first uh, official interview that occurred earlier this week, Panthers OC. So those are the two names that have uh, officially interviewed or or, or, are interviewing for the Steelers OC position.
0: Right. And I guess the list in total of reported people, and there's still some not much clarity when it comes to a guy like cliff Kingsbury, right. You know, or, or, or really Zach Robinson, neither one of those two, I don't believe have been made official by the team. Right. Uh, for all we know, they might've been, you know, video interviews or something like that. I don't, I don't know. Or actually Johnson might, might be one, uh, as well, but, uh, I'm old enough to remember when Jared Johnson uh, played a, played in a preseason game uh, uh, for for the Steelers. Boy, uh, how time gets by here. But I, I think if you want to, you know, start talking about guys like Thomas Brown and, and Gerard Johnson, uh, you know, you can't help but look at both of these guys and 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 think limited, you know, play calling. A, 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 a experience. Well, actually with Jared Johnson, really none, uh, overall, uh, here, but with, uh, Brown, an interesting situation with him, what, what transpired in Carolina last year, right? Uh, gets to play calling duties, gets them ripped away from him, Uh, and did he get them back again or, or
1: after Frank Reich was fired, he right. took over play calling duties. Yes.
0: Right. So, and obviously, uh had had the rookie quarterback situation over there in carolina and uh just kind of messy uh overall but uh you know if you if you re obviously if you retrace his his uh roots back to you know the uh the rams and all like that and uh i think the the the, the big takeaway here is these are two up and coming uh 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 coaching candidates oc you know, candidates in the NFL, and it just, it still feels like, and and even if you were to include in Zach Robinson and Cliff Kingsbury to this point, to me, it feels like just the the, the wide net here of let's, let's really look at all these, these candidates out here, even if some don't necessarily check all the boxes of what Mike Tomlin listed in his uh, end of season press conference here.
1: Yeah, from what we know, and I kind of assume, I mean, they interviewed Brown. We know that Johnson seems like it's happening today. Robinson, I, I trust that report. It's credible. The request was put in that interview will likely happen at some point, probably will happen. And all three are kind of in that, as you said, younger guys, less experienced risers, likely future OCs uh, in the NFL. Brown was an OC in Carolina, but like you know, full time OC because he was shifting and sharing some of the responsibility before Frank Reich got fired there. So it is a different resume than what Tomlin was kind of seemingly getting at in his year end press conference. We talked about quarterback background experience. Those guys could still, of course, be brought in. They maybe have a, a variety and they should probably have a variety of people, experience names, up and comers to compare, contrast. And as you said, cast that wide net. But to me, the trend line so far is kind of skewed in that up and comer direction.
0: Yeah. And we don't think the list is going to stop there. Right. You know, uh, especially with the senior bowl coming up and. Uh, you still got uh, a couple teams that, you know, may that that are in the playoffs right now that maybe the Steelers want to talk to, you know, uh, a, like a guy
1: like Kubiak, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Clint Kubiak, I think they're going to talk to. I mean, I, I know they could I think they can technically have virtual interviews, but in terms of the face to face, I don't think that's permitted right now until after their season ends. Or maybe during the Super Bowl bye week, if San Francisco right. wins this weekend, I, maybe I'm not 100 percent sure on the rules. But don't be surprised if Kubiak, I guess Kubiak's name has not really been mentioned much so far in in, in this OC cycle league wide. I imagine that'll pick up when there's some more clarity to San Francisco's season after this weekend.
0: Right, uh, and you know it's, it's it's hard it's hard to sit there and decipher about what uh, what you know uh, Brown and what you know Johnson are all about at this point, mm-hmm. especially with. Uh, you know, Brown, I, I guess more so than, 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 than Johnson here. But, uh, uh, and the interesting note to tag on when talking about a guy like Zach Robinson at this point is Raheem Morris was named the head coach of the, uh, Atlanta Falcons yesterday. And, uh, boy, I, I, you think he got a call from Mike Tomlin congratulating him uh, on, on that? I would imagine he did. Those two are good buddies. Mike Tomlin, even, you know, has talked several times over the years about uh, Raheem Morris, uh, obviously dating back to the time. Uh, that, that those two were get together on a coaching staff there. I think in Tampa, uh, I think on a pivot uh, uh, episode, you know, you got a clip floating around mm-hmm. uh, back with him talking about him. And then obviously with Raheem Morris coming out of the Rams organization, uh, it didn't take long for me to put two and two together on Twitter yesterday afternoon that, boy, you have to wonder if he would uh, consider Zach Robinson as, 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 as his, uh, you know, O.C., uh, uh, lead candidate potentially there in Atlanta. And lo and behold, five minutes later, I think a couple of national guys, uh, uh, came out and, and you know seemed to think that Zach Robinson will be at the top of that list. And it would obviously make sense with Raheem spending that time, uh, most recently with the Rams and obviously Zach Robinson over there being an up and comer. So it, you know, I, I don't know how quickly Raheem will want to put that staff together. I would imagine pretty quick uh, here, but uh, Zach Robinson might come off that list pretty quick.
1: Yeah, it's looking that way. And Johnson's in high demand, too. He's interviewed for several jobs so far. The Eagles, the Browns, I believe some others as well. Um It almost might be a good thing from the Steelers fan perspective that Bobby Slowick appears to be staying in Houston does not look like he's going to get a head coaching job. Only two now still available, Seattle and Washington. I don't believe Slowick is really a candidate for either. Had he been hired away, Johnson could have easily been promoted to OC there and he may have just stayed in Houston. So we'll see for sure. Um, Again, others will probably be brought in. You're right. It's a little hard to discuss Johnson's you know, philosophy because he's not, you know, bitten in the public view that often as a, as a coach, at least. And so we're, I'd have to do a, a deeper dive into learning about his background. Same with Brown. I mean, you know, a bit more about him coming from the McVay tree. He's a, you know, more of a running back, you know, run game background. He was running back at Georgia in the NFL and has been coaching that position, um, you know, throughout his, his coaching career before becoming the OC in Carolina. Obviously, it was a tough situation in Carolina last year with a lack of talent, but it was a, an offense that was one of the worst, if not the worst in football. So um, not that that's the sale end all, but that's kind of the background on somebody like the, like a Thomas Brown.
0: OK, good point. Uh, long story short, we don't expect these to be the only four names out there so far.
1: Right. I think others will be brought in, um, you know, waiting to see if some more experienced names just to have that, that contrast occur. And, and again, with Kingsbury. All we know is that comment Peter King made. There's not been one other comment from anybody that I'm aware of that has said anything else about Kingsbury and Pittsburgh. Could it happen? Sure. But we're going off of just one very off the cuff comment from Peter King.
0: That's a good point.
1: All right. So, anything else here? We should mention uh, some other Steelers coaching things. Jared Alexander, the Steelers assistant defensive backs coach, is no longer in that role. He's been hired away as the Las Vegas Raiders safeties coach, as Antonio Pierce puts together his coaching staff. Now, the official, you know, the interim label taken off of that role. With Las Vegas and so they'll have to probably fill that Pittsburgh almost always in recent years has had two defensive backs coaches to help manage such a large group, especially in training camp, Grady Brown, the uh, defensive backs coach, but they'll probably hire an assistant at some point here in the next month or so.
0: And could Mike Mitchell be that person?
1: Yeah, it's funny how things work out. Uh, Mitchell's contract was not renewed by the Colts. That was basically at the same time that news came in that Pittsburgh had heard and gotten word that Alexander was going to leave for the Raiders. And I believe Mitchell responded on Twitter uh, to somebody talking about you know him potentially coming to Pittsburgh, just speculating, theorizing. And Mitchell said it would be an honor, an amazing opportunity. I know Tomlin and Mitchell have been close. I think Last year, when they played the Colts, Tomlin was asked about Mike Mitchell and said they, they text almost every week and stay in communication. So, you know, we don't know, but it's certainly the dot connecting is easy to do when it comes to bringing Mike Mitchell to be an assistant DB's coach.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly what we do, right? Dot connect <laughs> mm-hmm. at, at, at this point here. So uh, it be interesting to see if there's anything that uh, that that develops there. Uh I guess uh, the news about Terrell Austin too, right? Well, the thing about Alexander is we 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 knew he was an up and comer, right?
1: Yeah, I mean he wasn't really acknowledged in the official coaching capacity. I think for you know, two years ago, and then he was officially announced as the assistant DBs coach for this past year. But yeah, I mean a guy that interviewed for the Patriots DC job um, obviously did not get that, but then goes to the Raiders. So. You know, former player, some experience, trying to move up through the ranks. And so, um, you know, good for him and and wish him well. All right. And Terrell Austin? Two-year extension for defensive coordinator uh, Terrell Austin. And so that was uh, confirmed earlier this week as well. Uh, Expectation was he was going to be brought back. Contract was expiring, so they had to do something with that. I'm good with it. I know there have been some on the internet who are not happy with Austin coming back. I think the overall success of the defense the last two years has been... They've been top 10 in scoring. The last two years, there were six in scoring in 2023, despite all the injuries, all the things they had to deal with. From a turnover perspective, takeaway perspective, I think the influence that Austin has had there has been significant. So um, we know Mike Tomlin has a heavy influence in the game planning and the play calling. I think though Austin has done a fine job and was deserving and worthy to come back.
0: Yeah, I would have been a bit surprised had they moved in a different direction myself. Uh, and you know, kind of we rolling back to speculating, us uh, speculating what may or may not happen with with with, with some of the staff. Uh, after, I mean, look, I, you're going to have turnover. Almost every year with contracts expiring and stuff like that, and I think you're starting to see a a, a little bit of that obviously take uh, place here. I mean, you got some strength and conditioning people leaving the organization. Uh, be interesting to see what other maybe position coaches and all uh uh, uh may, maybe get shuffled around here or whatnot. But uh, uh, the main takeaway at this point is the Steelers will have a new offensive coordinator. They won't have a new defensive coordinator.
1: Right. And will they have a new quarterbacks coach? Mike Sullivan's been a busy man this week. Interviews with the Raiders and the Saints. I don't know if those have officially occurred yet, but that's been the reporting that they're scheduled and planning on occurring. So based on those two things and and a new OC being brought in, odds don't look great of right. Mike Sullivan returning in 2024.
0: And I guess the other domino would be with a guy like Eddie Faulkner remain as, say, the r- running running backs coach. And uh, what will happen to, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, will they stay in pat at the offensive line coach position?
1: Yeah, the reporting seems to trend toward G.S. Yes on Meyer and I've heard nothing on Faulkner. So you kind of default to he's going to come back Um You know, some people have said, I want to get your opinion on this. Whenever a new OC comes in, you know, that he'll hire out a staff and bring in his guys. Is that is that generally what happens? You know, Pittsburgh's not had an outside hire in quite some time. So I'm trying to think back. I don't think Todd Haley brought in his guys. And even whenever, you know, something like a Matt Canada got promoted, he brought in an assistant in Matt Tom's show. But it wasn't anybody a positional coach or anything like that. So is that maybe overstated an OC coming in and just bringing all of his guys with him? I guess
0: it depends on organization and you'd have to go back and really (laughs) deep dive into timelines and, and things with other organization, uh, at its core though, it feels like the Steelers like to honor contracts, you know, uh, if, 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 if at all possible. Uh, but I mean, I imagine I would at least hope that if a new OC came in you know that they would say, you know, do you feel like this is a guy that you could potentially work with here? Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, Mike Tomlin and and Omar and and, and Art Rooney the, the second would have the final say if they said, look, we just want to go a different direction here. You know, they they would go. But to answer your question, I, I I don't you know I don't think there's enough there for us to rubber stamp it and say new OC comes in, he gets to choose offensive line coach and you know position coaches under him.
1: Right, and you're right. I think you, it probably depends organization to organization. But in Pittsburgh, that doesn't seem to be the case. It's probably a little harder to read into that, given that it's often an internal promotion as opposed to an out of house hire. In the last twenty years, there's only been one of those from an OC perspective, and that was Todd Haley. Um, but yeah, as you said, they don't they don't fire coaches mid contract. Rarely, Canada was you know that that incredible exception. They usually part ways, and so. Um, whoever they hire, I assume, will have alignment with what Pat Myers' philosophy is. And and those things will get vetted out as part of the interview process.
0: Uh, I agree.
1: So we'll see if Sullivan stays, though. If not, though, they'll certainly have to replace the quarterback coach. They do have an assistant in David Corley. I don't think he would get the promotion to full-time head quarterbacks coach. But I do want to note they do have an assistant quarterbacks coach if Sullivan does leave. As you mentioned, too, Dave. Not that it's the most breaking news or most urgent story of the offseason, but it is still very important. Pittsburgh will have to hire some strength and conditioning coaches. Marcel Pastor been with the team for 23 years. The last three is the head strength and conditioning coach. He has left the team. An assistant as well has left the team as well. So they're going to have to uh, hire some support staff out.
0: You think something happened there, or do you think this is just, you know, uh, moving on? With, with different areas of life's work?
1: It's a good question. I really don't know. I mean, I, I just couldn't give you any sort of a guess. I mean, it would truly wouldn't be educated either just be a total guess of it. I mean, Pastor had been there for a long time, so I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted to go maybe do something else. He had a you know, big, long post thanking the organizations. does not seem like he left on bad terms at all. So it might lend itself to him just deciding to step down and do something else. I, but again, I really could not tell you.
0: All right, uh, what's left out there as far as head coaches uh, positions left to be filled around the NFL? The Seahawks uh, is one of them.
1: And And the Commanders is the other.
0: Okay, all right, so is there a chance that two thousand 24 does not include Bill Belichick.
1: <laughs> well, that's the crazy thing. It's my, it's my terrible take today, which I you know might not be the most popular subject for a Steelers center, but I just wanted to, to mention it because you know, we just assumed that Belichick, whenever he left New England, he had 10 teams that would line up and, you know, go hire him to be a head coach somewhere. And the only team that showed any interest in him was Atlanta. And of course, as you said, they just hired Raheem Morris. So yeah, barring something unforeseen occurring, Belichick will not be head coach in twenty four, and I don't know what he's going to do. I mean, will he broadcast? Will he go consult? I, I really have no no clue.
0: Uh, it's hard to imagine him landing. I mean, as Seattle moved on from a seventy year old head coach, and it's hard to imagine him going to another, you know, seventy uh, year old head coach there. I I I I, I would think. Uh, I suppose Washington. It'd be interesting to see what what Washington does.
1: Yeah, I'm not even sure who is the front runner for the Washington head coaching job right now. I'd have to look at the list of candidates. I know Belichick has not been part of that so far, but I'm not entirely sure who they're targeting.
0: All right. Uh we're too, We got all the housekeeping out of the way there. Uh I think we and we 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 hit on the five additional futures guys the other day, so I don't think we have anything left to talk about there.
1: Are you do you feel any sort of angst for the OC search kind of taking some time? I mean, it nah, understood. None, some Some are, I'm getting some Twitter you know, comments. Why are they waiting so long? All these hires are getting made. What's your perspective?
0: No, nah, I don't like, like we said, I expected this to, to roll on into senior bowl week. And then now when we get a week after out, out, out of the senior bowl, something hasn't happened. Uh, and then once again, you know, who, who knows how, how, uh, uh, when you got a guy like Kubiak potentially involved here, I mean, you you could be waiting another couple of weeks here for mm-hmm. for, the, for the Super Bowl, uh, to obviously take place and 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 for them to get past there. And I'll tell you what, if I if you know if I'm if I'm you know a guy like Kubiak, now there is obviously that 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 lacks you know that couple of weeks of time. You would think that that would be the logical time, with with, with within those couple of weeks there if, if San Francisco were to advance this weekend that hey, you know, can, can we talk to them and it mm-hmm. not 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 pose that big of an issue when it comes to the 49ers preparing.
1: Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that they can interview in that week by, so to speak, you know, next week essentially before during the Pro Bowl week, uh before the actual Super Bowl week takes place two years or two weeks from now. So I imagine there'll be some interviews then. I, I my guess and it's just a guess, I think they're gonna have a lot of interest in Clint Kubiak. They want to talk to him, the system that he's coming from, the ties, the success the 49ers have had. And given their interest in kind of these up-and-comers like Johnson and Robinson and Brown, Kubiak is in a similar position, but he actually called place fully for a season in Minnesota, I think, what, two years ago. So there's there's that blend between youth, but coordinator experience. And so he might be that, that sweet spot for Pittsburgh to target.
0: Yeah, you know, just the angst as every you know, fan base wants to know. You know. Uh but I I, I don't I don't share that angst. I I, I envisioned it rolling on into se- into the senior bowl week and all.
1: Yeah, I had said, you know. First week of February is kind of my guess for when that would occur. And that's still my timeline, maybe even a little bit later than that, depending on if they want to talk to Kubiak and what happens with the 49ers. um, And there's a lot of moving and shaking around the NFL right now. But not even a lot of OC jobs have even been filled yet, right? I mean, head coaching job just got filled. There's still a couple of outstanding GM positions out there across the league. So... Those things kind of have to get settled in first, typically, before the dominoes start falling for coordinators, positional coaches, etc.
0: Right, exactly.
1: All right, what else do we have here? Dave, T.J. Watt, Joey Porter Jr., up for awards. The finalists for the uh, you know NFL Awards, Player of the Year Awards for the 2023 season were announced yesterday. T.J. Watt, one of five finalists for Defensive Player of the Year. Joey Porter Jr. won a five finalist for Defensive Rookie of the Year. Don't really expect either to win it right now. Um, I think Porter, let me ask you this. Who do you think has a better chance to win their award they're up for? Watt or Porter?
0: Uh, Watt, I would say, because I, I just don't, I, I think it's more of a cordial for Joey Porter Jr. Had he had a couple of more interceptions, I think uh, uh, he, he you can make a better uh, case for his situation. Uh, But with all that said, when you look at the history of the pro football writers association uh, and their choice was obviously this past week was miles Garrett, right? Uh, When you look back, what was it? Seven of the last eight or, or eight of the last nine uh, choices from uh, the pro football writers association, uh, especially when you look at defensive player of the year, have wound up being the AP selections. So, I mean, and then you look at all the, the stuff that's been out there with with uh, PFF and and uh, you know things that Peter King has said and things. Didn't Rich Eisen come out and say that he didn't vote for what?
1: Yeah, he doesn't have an official vote for this process, but in just his own kind of thought process, his own, you know, Eisen Awards, he had Garrett one, Max Crosby two, and then T.J. Watt three.
0: Okay. Uh, It just, and it's felt like it's trended, been trending this way for a little while. Now, now Watt did win the, uh, what was it? The 101 Mm -hmm. uh, award for the uh, Defensive Player of the Year. But I mean, that's, that's a different selection of, of sports writers there. But I mean, long story short, I, I I think Watt, of the two of winning one of those two awards, I think Watt would have the better chance.
1: I'll say Porter, just because I've kind of resigned to the fact that Garrett's going to win it, you know, right or wrong. It'll be debated. There'll be a million Twitter arguments about it, you know, whatever. But I, I'm like 98 percent. Sure that Miles Garrett's going to win Defensive Player of the Year, and you know, because he's deserving of it? For what one sack over the last six, seven games that he had? You know, Watt outproducing him in every you know top line box score statistical category certainly would be questionable. But all that we've known so far, all the voting, and the one official vote that we know from Peter King that had Garrett one, and then Watt in third place. There he was. He went Watt. It went Garrett, Parsons, and then Watt third. Is trending towards what is not going to win the award. And I think, you know, for Defensive Rookie of the Year, it's a bit more wide open. The candidates are Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, Devin Witherspoon, Kobe Turner, and Porter. I wouldn't call Porter the favorite, but I'm not sure who I would call the favorite of that list of five.
0: Uh, potentially what? Uh, Will Anderson?
1: I think the odds makers have Carter as the slight favorite, but I think those are kind of cooled off throughout the season. He finished the year with six sacks. I think Anderson was around the same. Mark Turner had a really good year. Turner had nine sacks, but most, I think most of the voters don't really know who Kobe Turner is, a mid-round pick of the Rams. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but just calculating how they might think about that. So Porter you know, does not have the gaudy numbers. As you said, the one interception – but there wasn't really one of those guys that had super gaudy numbers either. I think Witherspoon has a is kind of a dark horse to, to win that. But I think Porter's got, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, a twenty percent chance to win it. And I would put that at higher than Watt, who I think has a you know, five percent chance to win it right now.
0: Have they they've never had a co defensive player of the year award, have they? Did they ever
1: have I can check? I, I think they've had some co-rookie of the years for offense right. defense, but I, I don't think on defensive player of the year, but could, could we a see, a,
0: could we see a, a situation where maybe, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that ends up being a co co-award?
1: Well, I think or, that's, that's I mean, usually I, a, a voting I, result, right?
0: Right, right. I mean, I, I just tell you that, that that's unlikely to happen, but.
1: Yeah, there's never been co-defensive players of the year. It would have to just be so perfect. I think Garrett's – there's, what, 50 ballots for first place. I think Garrett's going to win 40 of them. I think he's going to win this one in kind of a runaway. Okay.
0: Well, that will certainly upset a lot of people listening to this. I mean, But, I mean, that's that's the way it's trending.
1: Yeah, I'm not saying – yeah, I'm not saying that I endorse that or, you know, in in hoping or, you know, wishing it – to happen that way. I'm just going off what I expect based on what I know, based off the all pro votes where Garrett, as I said, you know, clearly got more than Watt, and, and the Peter King vote and some of the other awards. And I think the voters just have this in their heads that Garrett is due that a lot of this was coming mid season when he was, you know, playing his best football and the Browns were playing their best football and the defense was at the top of their game and that kind of stuff. And that's, that's driving it enough to overlook how much more productive you know what has been from a sack perspective, tackle for loss perspective, quarterback hit perspective, etc. So again, right or wrong, and I know Sealer fans will think it's wrong, and that's fair. But I think Garrett's going to win it with the lion's share of the votes.
0: How 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 much do you feel that PFF's uh, voice in this has has impacted this potentially?
1: I think they have. Not that the voters who kind of trend a bit older and more old school that probably aren't calculating you know pass rush win rate with their own calculator but when you have uh, an outlet as, as big and as influential as pff just announcing garrett as he's the best defensive player he's the guy i think that's that's what's going to influence the, the voters and the in the in the selectors to go with garrett not because they're crunching the data and really sitting there and watching the tape and, right yeah but they just when you when you speak about that enough in, in the public view, the way the PFF faces Garrett's the guy, he's the winner, he's the best. That's what that's what the, where the influence comes from.
0: Right, it becomes fact for yeah. for 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 some people. I, I I'm with you. I think that uh, we are now in the age where they are, where not necessarily older ones, but uh, uh, you know the the, the middle aged ones are more influenced because PFF's been around so so long now.
1: Yeah, and and we respect their work, and you know Garrett's a great player. Nobody should deny that. I'm just saying, from the idea that you know, once you say it enough, and you say it out loud enough, it kind of becomes the prevailing wisdom, and that seems to be where this thing is trending.
0: All right, we don't have long to wait before we find the outcome of that on uh, the honors.
1: We have some kind of a slower show today. Do you want to go through and make our our awards here, Dave, just for the NFL at large? Otherwise, this is going to be a probably. Pretty short show, otherwise.
0: All right. uh, You you got a list.
1: list. Yeah, let me pull up uh, the the finalists here. I've got the NFL
0: community. Yeah, i got somewhere in here the the, uh, press release that uh, NFL Communications
1: sent out. Yeah, and so we'll just give our picks right now, just off the cuff. And uh, so we'll start here with the MVP. We'll just start with the big one, Dave. The five players, the five finalists for 2023 AP NFL MVP are... Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Christian McCaffrey, Dak Prescott, and Brock Purdy. Uh
0: am I am I pre- am I pre- uh, predicting who will win the award? No,
1: you're casting your own made up ballot. Who you would vote for if you were one of the 50 voters? Your personal vote.
0: Uh, I I'd have to go with Lamar Jackson here.
1: I would too. Uh, for this team missing him the last two years with injury, them collapsing as a result, and then this year with him fully healthy, being the one seed, you know, arguably arguably best team in football, the way that they, you know, just blew out the Lions, the 49ers, you know, controlled the AFC North. Um, I would go Jackson as well. All right, offensive player of the year. It's Tyreek Hill, Lamar Jackson, CeeDee Lamb, Christian McCaffrey and Dak Prescott
0: uh once again i would have to go i think lamar jackson there
1: okay i like to mix it up i don't, I don't like giving the mvp an offensive player to the same guy i'll go christian mccaffrey um you know it's it's so tough for a running back to win mvp him being a finalist is almost a, a an achievement in itself but the versatility what he meant for that offense what that crazy touchdown consecutive streak that he had just off the charts so i'll go christian mccaffrey
0: i will say this man uh back when when the 49ers dealt for him I didn't think that was a at the time I I kind of questioned that move I, I really did I think I put it out there on Twitter some somewhere thinking that that I wonder how that one might end that 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 you know move might end up and uh he has answered the bell he really has for the 49ers
1: oh yeah for sure they have certainly got their their return on investment defensive player of the year. It's Deron Bland, Max Crosby, Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons, and TJ Watt.
0: Uh, you know, I, the way I think it goes is Garrett. The way I think my vote would go would be for Watt. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I, you know, I've got some bias there, obviously <laughs> from, from watching him uh, every week. Uh, he did not, especially in, 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 you know, I think he's getting gigged because his lack of interceptions and in coverage, <laughs> <laughs> I, I say that, I say that tongue in cheek there. Uh, I mean, what else do you want this guy to do? You know, sure. L- literally what else, when you're talking about uh defensive player of the year, you're talking about defensive player of the year. You're not talking just pass rusher. You're talking a defensive player and mm-hmm what does a lot more than just rush the passer uh plain and simple i mean you talk about a guy that's so good against the run especially backside uh, uh uh kind of stuff like that i mean we've seen what he's able to do when reading quarterbacks and and look when you're playing and and it goes the same for for miles garrett but uh you know uh, uh because of who he is, you know, game plans are built around not letting him be a game record. Game plans are built around him, uh, uh, around the quarterback, getting the football out quickly. We've seen Watt have to adjust to that over the years and, and decide of whether kind of take that quick step back and and, and, and try to interrupt the passing lane and make a couple of interceptions that way. Uh, you look at, I mean, just go back and look at that interception against the Rams this year. It's a shame if he scores on that play. How much does that influence? Maybe, you know, how, how this how this goes along. Uh, my 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 campaign for him would once a, once again be around. We're talking about Defensive Player of the Year, not best edge rusher, not best every, everything, and that's why I think because of the things you know uh, uh, encompassed in being a complete defensive player is why I would give my vote to T.J. To, to T, T. Watt.
1: I think that's a fantastic way of laying out the case for T.J. Watt because you're right. It's not just about being the pass rusher. And Garrett's an incredible pass rusher and a freaky, freaky dude, but Watt does it all. And the numbers reflect that, run defense, Pass rush, coverage. I mean, he made so many plays in coverage this year. You know, the interception against the Rams, obviously, but eight pass deflections, with some of which is him rushing and then reading the quarterback and batting down passes as a line, but still their plays that are ultimately kind of counted toward towards the coverage aspect of it. So I think based on the way this, these votes and the indications, the trend lines are going, the only way that TJ Watt would have won Defensive Player of the Year this year was if he broke the sack record. I think anything short of that, this one was you know going to go to Garrett, right or wrong, and certainly can debate it. But I think this thing was going to go to Garrett the whole way unless Watt just made it, had such an unbelievable year, a literal record-setting year that that he couldn't be ignored. So my vote would go to TJ Watt, of course. I would go Max Crosby second, I think, for what that guy has done, even run defense, and just kind of being the only defensive player on that Raiders team that gets so much attention. To still be as productive as he's been, that's notable. I would put Garrett third, and and I said it before. I'll say it again. You know, Browns fans say that Garrett's the best. Steeler fans say Watt's the best. I'm not going to get into the debate. That's never going to be solved. Never going to be uh, concluded. So I'm not going to even wade into those waters. But you know, Garrett won sack over the last six games. I mean, right. it's just it's hard to give the award to that guy. I know that sacks are not the end all, be all, and PFF will argue that, and there's some merit to that. But they do matter. They do play a role. I mean, they have to play a role to some extent, and they were not there for Miles Garrett.
0: All right. Uh, I, like, I like your push as well, too, there, but I don't think uh, we'll, we'll have enough push in this.
1: <laughs> All right. Coach of the Year, Dan Campbell, John Harbaugh, D'Amico Ryans, Kyle Shanahan, and Kevin Stefanski.
0: Uh, got to be Dan Campbell in my book, but I will say this: I, I think what Kevin Stefanski was able to do uh, and accomplish with the Browns, with the injuries that they had uh, on that team, and you know to get a guy off the street and Joe Flacco, and be able to do what what they they were able to do there. Uh, uh, even so, and and look, D'Amico rides. It, it, it goes without saying you have a rookie quarterback over there, and to get done what 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 they're able to do, uh, I just Dan Campbell's got this this team one away one win away from the Super Bowl, and uh, I think that speaks volumes when 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 you know where where that organization's come from.
1: So your vote went to to Campbell. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's tough. I know the actual awards were due two weeks ago, so we kind of have the benefit of the postseason here. I had said late in the regular season, my vote was going to go to Kevin Stefanski. But, you know, now that we've seen how the playoffs have gone, it's hard to ignore what Campbell has done. So I'm with you on Campbell, what he's done for the team, the city, the culture is fantastic. So um, again, we kind of get the benefit of how the playoffs have turned out, which sways us but I'll go Dan Campbell with you there.
0: Yeah, look, you can once again, you can make great art and great argument for D'Amico Ryans. you know.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, first year, you know, rookie head coach, rookie quarterback, go win a playoff game, have the success Houston has a, a complete and utter turnaround. Like the Lions were expected to be a, a competitive good team this year. Maybe not to the level that they're at right now, but they didn't have the turnaround this year from last year or this year, at least that Houston has had I and mean, Campbell has turned around the franchise from where he began. to where he's at now, but year over year, you've seen more probably progress in Houston than any other team in football. All right. Assistant coach of the year. It's Ben Johnson. That is the lions. OC probably won't be a head coach this year, which is surprising. He's been such a hot name. The last two years, Mike McDonald, the Ravens, DC Todd Monken, the uh, Ravens. OC Jim Schwartz, the uh, Browns, D.C., and Bobby Slowick, the Texans, O.C., who's your who's your ballot I, uh, cast for?
0: I, I find myself leaning towards Slowick here just for the sheer fact that they did have the rookie quarterback that they had to deal with uh, there. And obviously, D'Amico Ryan's being de- 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 defensive-based uh, uh, over there. I thought it was impressive. Uh, schematically and just what they were able to accomplish off, offensively, not really truly having you know somebody who would, you would circle as a as a oh look look who they have in the backfield they're running the football type situation. I think Slowick uh, did a great job of scheming stuff up and getting everything every ounce out of everything with 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 with, with C J Stroud. So I would I would my vote would go to Slowick.
1: It's a great choice. I'll go Mike McDonald. Um, just the way he's been able to even it further advance that Ravens defense more and just the chaos, the consistency, and just how hard it is to be a good defensive team in 2023 where everything is kind of slanted towards the offense, being able to succeed and move the football. Um, you yeah, know, that Ravens offense fantastic too, but that that defense was just you know, just suffocating. So I'll go Mike McDonald for, for my vote. Okay. Offense rookie of the year, probably less discussion here. Uh, Jamar Gibbs from Detroit, Sam Laporta from Detroit, Puka Nakua from the Rams, Bijan Robinson from Atlanta, and CJ Stroud from Houston. I think we're both going to go the same here, but go ahead, Dave.
0: Yeah, CJ Stroud to me has got to be that. Uh, and and it, it, it's a shame that Puka, uh, <laughs> Puka had a fantastic mm-hmm. uh, season there. But uh, when you talk about you know, uh, the most important position on the field being quarterback, it's hard to uh, shy away from that. And I think Stroud was just phenomenal.
1: Yeah, no debate about this. CJ Stroud is going to be the winner. Defensive Rookie of the Year, Will Anderson from the Texans, Shailen Carter from the Eagles, of course, Joey Porter Jr. from the Steelers, Kobe Turner of the Rams, and Devon Witherspoon of the Seahawks. Who would your vote go to?
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm less sure about this overall, but Will Anderson just kind of jumps out to me there.
1: Okay, I'll go Witherspoon, like I mentioned. Um, I know the numbers weren't incredibly gaudy. He missed some time with an injury, but some of the hits that he had had a I think big pick six. So um again, no no clear favorite in my view right now, but I'll go Witherspoon. Okay. And then finally, comeback player of the year. It's Joe Flacco of the Browns, Damar Hamlin of the Bills, Baker Mayfield of the Buccaneers, Matthew Stafford of the Rams, and Tua from the Dolphins. Who's your selection here, Dave?
0: Man, you come out of that story with uh you know, DeMar Hamlin from last year and all like that. and mm. Yeah. It, it, it just from a, a, a emotional uh, uh, value and everything that he went through. It's hard to go any other direction than that. My, I guess my second choice uh, would be, would probably be May- Baker Mayfield. I mean, who 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 really saw that coming and and that's not Joe Flacco only had that small limited window there later on in the season whereas Baker Mayfield did it all, you know, pretty much all season there. Uh my list would go DeMar Hamlin then Baker Mayfield.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I'll go Hamlin as well. I know he didn't, you know, see the field much this year, but the fact he you know, made the team and and saw the field at some point and is here to tell his story is is incredible. And, you know, I didn't see the other four like one other true, you know, comeback incredible story. I mean, Stafford had the injury last year, you know, Baker reviving his career, Flacco off the street, but none of them had there been one that stuck out to me in a really significant way from an on-field perspective. You could maybe talk me into picking somebody else. I don't see that with the other four. They're good stories, but they're not, you know, like marquee. this is clearly, you know, great comeback story. So I will go Demar Hamlin as well. Yeah, OK. All right. So those are our selections. And again, the official awards will get announced during NFL honors on February. I think that's February 8th at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So we'll know the voting and should know the actual ballots and in terms of how many votes were cast for the leaders as well. So that'll be in about a week and a half. All right. All right, Dave, what else do we have here? Some scouting reports rolling in for Steelers Depot. I'm getting myself started on uh, compiling and writing and producing the first couple of reports myself for the 2024 NFL draft. I will not be in Mobile, uh, by the way. As as Dave mentioned, we have a great crew going down there. We'll have Ross McCorkle, Jonathan Hightrader at Mobile, and then four people for the Shrine Bowl in Texas. That's Josh Carney, Joe Clark. Ah, uh, Tony Calderon and Melanie Friedlander, and so they'll be at the Shrine Bowl. Uh, better for me to just hang back, work on the site. Art Rooney is going to be speaking here sometime soon, so it's going to be some some people here at the Pittsburgh Division of the Steelers Depot Metroplex to uh to cover those types <laughs> of things. So, uh, no 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 Senior Bowl for me this year, but you guys will still have a ton of coverage, a lot of reports coming your way over the next couple of days. But I did have a report today on West Virginia Center Zach Frazier. Um, it's a you know pretty good center class a need there for Pittsburgh. I didn't see Frazier as necessarily this, this this like high end elite level, you know, crazy upside center, but you know, strong, powerful, torquey, good run blocker, durable, some guard versatility as well. His wrestling background, he had an incredible wrestling career at West Virginia um, in high school at the state of West Virginia. Um, that kind of translates to the NFL level. The athleticism kind of lacking there. I think the length is not going to be tremendous for him in terms of a measurable standpoint but a really solid run blocker. I comped him to Ben Jones, the longtime Titans center, never an all-star, but steady, consistent, durable. So that's my report on Zach Frazier. You can read the whole thing on the site. All right. uh,
0: uh, When I look at him on tape, kind of a stubby uh, individual, if you will, I do like the uh, base that he presents a nice, uh, uh, wide, wider, wider, uh, use of his legs and, uh, footwork. I think, uh, uh, I, I noticed sticks out really with him. I like the hand usage with him. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, very active, uh, hands. Uh, he's got some impressive tape as far as his, in my, in my opinion, in his, in his angles, he's got a little bit of a mean streak to him. Uh, I think he's Technically sound as far as uh, he likes to put that arm out there and 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 feel what what maybe be co- might be coming his is 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 to his backside uh, there. I think he does well in staying on levels with picking up uh, stunts and twists. Uh, I view him as a better better run blocker than I do pass protector. I think his athleticism o- overall is okay, especially when he gets off the line and out in space. He did a good job. I think you highlighted of uh, uh, who's the Baylor uh, defensive tackle.
1: Yeah, Ika uh, last year. Uh,
0: uh, Yaki Ika uh, uh, that he that he had some impressive. Uh, reps up against. I think sometimes when he gets hands up into him uh, uh, in a bull rush, uh, he can be pushed back. He does have the ability to to, and there there is evidence of this on film with him with with, with dropping anchor. Okay, uh, I wonder where his arm length is going to come in at mm-hmm. uh, there. Uh, people say you guys read way too much into that, but when you look at uh, look, I mean. Uh, what what was one of the knocks on Lin, uh uh when, with Linderbaum?
1: Yeah, I think Lanks was one of them.
0: But has he has he answered the bell? It, <laughs> when it, when it, when I think it, so. When it when it comes to that, and you know, centers players can win in the NFL with without having perfect measurables and. To me, is tape tape's impressive. I don't think he's just a, a first round draft pick, and I haven't uh, gone in depth. To I think Jonathan has a, uh, a profile on the on the on the Oregon kid uh, mm-hmm. up, and obviously uh, 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 the Georgia uh, center as well too. But I think when you're at least from what I've seen so far, and I haven't gone deep in this, I don't think you can name off maybe your top three centers in this year's class without mentioning Frazier.
1: Yeah, I'd have to watch the others more in depth in terms of Powers Johnson, Van Pran, um, and, and I will at some point. I, I don't think Frazier will finish first on that list ahead of those other guys, but I, I can't say that definitively. Yeah, length is not say all end all. It does, you know, matter more the, the bigger and longer you are, the more advantages you have. It's not the sole decider of whether or not you're a good lineman and centers can get away with having, you know, less length than guards and certainly tackles scam. But I know in Pat Meyer's system that first punch is so critical First significant contact and, and pass pro can be a bit more of an issue. I do want to see what he actually comes in at. Apparently someone had told me that, that Jim Nagy said early in the season, he was like 32 and five eighth inch arms, which if be does that that's actually not terrible for, for his frame for a center. I wonder if he's going to come in a little bit shorter than that. Overall, we'll get a senior bowl way in uh, later this week. He'll be down to mobile and then we'll get the combine of course, a little bit later in this process, but really consistent, really balanced, really coordinated, never on the ground, like keeps his feet. Well, Um, I just don't know if that the high end traits are there necessarily, but I think he's a really solid, you know, run blocking center.
0: Boy, he's got some starts, doesn't he? He's got some experience some, someone I I think put out there something like 2000, 2000 snaps.
1: I can get you the exact starts. I don't know how many snaps it'll translate to, but he is certainly experienced. That's, Definitely uh, not an issue in his game.
0: Uh, let's see. Snap counts. He had eight hundred and six just this past year. Uh okay. in two thousand and twenty-two, he had eight eighty-three. Uh 2021, he had eight ninety-five. Uh so yeah, he's uh and then in two thousand and twenty he had 628. So, you want to talk about a guy that's that's that played a lot of snaps, uh, in 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 college? It's him,
1: yeah, that's over 3,000. I don't know the exact number, but that's over 3,000. 47 career starts, 38 at center, nine at left guard. All the ones at left guard came, um, his freshman year whenever he filled in. Um, he had his first start ever at center and then moved over to guard after their center came back from a one game suspension. So, um, tough dude, I think, he even. Now, I found this out late. I think he hurt his leg pretty bad in the last game. There's a clip of him like crawling off and somehow able to get off the field because West Virginia had no timeouts left. Really smart, too. Could have gone to Stanford, Virginia Tech, stayed local instead. You know, 4.0 GP in high school. And is not, not that you want to get too, too caught up in, in the wrestling background because it only means maybe so much. But his high school wrestling record 159 and two, a four time yeah. heavyweight wrestling state champ. Um, his average, I think as a junior, his average uh, wrestling match length was 51 seconds. Like he was winning those in the first period pins just consistently. So, um, he actually, apparently he didn't like, he liked wrestling, but he liked football more. He just wrestled to become a better football player. Like that was why he wrestled was just to improve his technique and leverage and balance on the football field. So, um, really interesting guy, great character from all I've read, humble, hardworking, um, you know, helpful and, and a really good, uh, teammate. So he'll check all those boxes for the Steelers.
0: Uh, I had to kind of cram on him to get ready just to talk a little bit about him today, but I did notice this and, and I want to, and we'll have a talk. He's going to be a guy. I think we're going to talk about obviously coming out of the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 senior bowl week and, and throughout this process because the Steelers obvious kind of need it center here. Uh, I found it interesting. Uh, did you watch any of the Texas tech game?
1: Let me check my notes. No, I did not put on the tech game.
0: Okay. I, I have not watched that game either, but it's on my list uh, to watch. And here's why. Uh, PFF for that game has his overall grade at 53.8. That was his lowest graded game of, uh, of, 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 of last season. And it's curious, his pass blocking uh, grade for that game was his best best of the season Hmm. at eight or second best, I'm sorry, at 83.7. But his run blocking grade was the worst of the season at 53.3. So I'm kind of curious of how they got to that over. He must have really stunk in the run game. Mm-hmm. Uh, for his overall, and it, it lists him as one penalty here. I don't, I, I didn't pull up the breakdown to see what pressures or whatnot, uh, were involved in that, but I'm, I'm, I'm just by looking at the surface grades and, uh, and, and kind of thinking that I know how PFF does things. I'm real curious to pull up that
1: Texas tech game. You said one penalty he committed.
0: That's what they have here. And he yeah. only had four penalties on the season.
1: Hmm. Yeah, because, you know, you'll you'll get dinged on the overall grade if there are penalties, but if it's just the one, I mean, that hurt him a little bit, but shouldn't have destroyed his score. So, yeah, maybe I'll go back and watch that one this weekend.
0: But I found that a bit curious, and I have that circled in my notes here to make sure I get at some point to watch that Texas Tech game. Uh, his best game overall, according to them last year, was against BYU. and But within that... His pass blocking grade, we got the opposite there. His pass blocking mm. grade was his lowest of the season at fifty four point four, and his run blocking was his 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 best of the season at seventy eight point zero. So, uh, go go turn that one on when I when I get a chance.
1: Yeah, interesting there. So Frazier, where he'll go, it's still so early, and I'm not probably up to speed to give, you know, great projection. Sounds like a later day two kind of guy. Centers will typically, you know, they tend to fall a little bit in in a stronger center class. If he's not, you know, the first two off the board, he may be waiting a bit, but I would probably say, I I put a low second round grade on him. I may adjust that down slightly here, but probably in that, that late second round, third round kind of range is likely where he's going to go, but we're still a ways out before kind of, you know, cementing those types of projections.
0: I, I would agree. And 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 generally for you to be a center to go, you know, uh center just is one of those positions along with like inside linebacker mm-hmm. that just they get pushed down, you know. Uh uh the the field for him and in the little that I've watched is is late round anywhere from late second to late third.
1: Okay, that sounds about right. So we'll watch the others. Uh, they'll be down in, in Mobile. Um Frazier will be in Pittsburgh watch him and would not be surprised if they sent, you know, Pat Meyer, assuming he's still in Pittsburgh, out to that West Virginia Pro Day to, to work out a guy like Frazier. Uh,
0: what was the what was the big the biggest thing that jumped off the tape with me with him was his hand usage, I think, with Frazier.
1: Yeah, the power on his punch, I mean, he has just a jolt in terms of pass protection, run blocking, and his grip strength once he locks on. I mean, he does not lose those blocks. And His coordination, his balance, keeping his feet under him, just playing with a really solid base. He's never somebody that's really all over the place and on the ground. So I think the the power in his hands and just the coordination that he shows, which certainly goes back to that wrestling background to some extent is kind of what stands out to me. Just, you know, it was a consistent guy. I didn't see a lot of terrible reps on tape. I'll have to go back and check some of those games that you mentioned there. But, I mean, his worst reps were nothing that really said, oh my goodness, this this is a terrible rep. So, again, that ceiling, where is that at? That's probably a fair question. But um, the floor, I think, is pretty high with, with Zach Frazier.
0: Stayed on his feet a lot.
1: Yeah. Like I said, the coordination, the balance, I mean, it was, I mean, the guy was never on the ground and that's, that's one Oh one. If you're on the ground a lot, you know, as a Kendrick green was you a green lack length, but he was on the ground all the time in college and in the NFL Frazier, almost never on the ground, especially as a run block, keeps his blocks, runs his feet finishes. Um, it's not overwhelming as a run blocker, but, but it's really good. Um, he's solid. He steers guys. He, he has leverage and angles and works them well. So um, in my Again, I have to watch the other centers to be able to probably rank those top names. But but for Asia, I can see the connection to Pittsburgh.
0: All right. Uh, where would you like to go to from here?
1: I think we're kind of uh, winding things down today. Dave, a little bit shorter show, but we'll come back on Monday and see if there's any more progress in Pittsburgh's coaching search and update. So want to make our picks here for championship weekend. But before we do that, Dave, let's hear from our friends over at my bookie.
0: Yeah, new year, new ways to win. Gear up, sports fans. The NFL playoffs are here, and with the Super Bowl now just right around the corner, there's never been a better time to get in on the action with my bookie. Don't just watch. Score big with exclusive boosted odds and huge prize contests that'll have you feeling the Super Bowl fever before it even hits. Whether you're a seasoned pro or ready to roll for the first time, MyBookie is your ticket to turning your sports knowledge into cold, hard cash. MyBookie has the largest online lineup of odds, contests, and Vegas-style casino games, making it your ultimate destination for all type of fun, 24-7 right at your fingertips. If you've been waiting for the right time to get in on the action, that wait is over. Make your winning move today and sign up at MyBookie. Use promo code TERRIBLE, that's promo code TERRIBLE, to claim your deposit up to $1,000. That's right. Promo code TERRIBLE for an opportunity to boost your betting power right out of the chute. Experience the thrill of sports betting right from the comfort of your own home because when MyBookie bookie. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere. Join my bookie today and be part of the winning team.
1: All right, Dave, let's make our picks for championship weekend.
0: All right, I'm interested to see which way you go with a couple of these here. With championship weekend on Sunday, you got the Baltimore Ravens hosting the Kansas City Chiefs. The Ravens at home laying four points against the Chiefs.
1: Yeah, I feel like. Everyone is picking the Ravens, despite the Chiefs you know, finding a way to beat a really talented Bills team down the wire and the way that Mahomes played. Um, but the Ravens, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go with them. I'll, I'll kind of be a hypocrite here uh, as I kind of talk about how everybody's on the Ravens, but just just how well-rounded they are offensively, defensively. I think they're going to give Mahomes more fits than what the Bills defense did. The Bills defense was so beat up. Uh, the Ravens have had time to, to to get healthy, and they are healthier right now. Uh, some of those sim pressures that McDonald's going to – draw up are going to, you know, maybe not confuse my homes, but just the entire, you know, offense for the the Chiefs, the skill guys, can find more people outside of Kelsey. So bottom line is, I will go with the Ravens.
0: All right. uh, It's hard to envision a Super Bowl (laughs) as of late without someone like Patrick Mahomes or uh, 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 in it. I mean, definitely you know, the, the, the Chiefs have are a been here done net kind of team uh, right now. I think Spags is going to have something uh, to say on a defensive side of football. I think it helps the Chiefs coming off of a game with having to uh, defend against a running quarterback like Josh Allen. Now look, uh, uh, Lamar Jackson uh, uh, has a lot more wiggle and able to do a lot more things. And, and I think the, the plan is for the Ravens maybe to have even a guy like Mark Andrews back this week uh, here. I just I I, when I look at this game I had the feel of man the Chiefs have 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 been there in, 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 in these situations uh, before uh, when if you keep a game close and allow Patrick Mahomes had to touch that ball one one last time. Can he pull it out? And the answer, you know, seems to be yes. Uh, I think the Chiefs upset the, uh, the Ravens in mm. Baltimore here. So yeah, give me those four. If they don't, I think it's ends up being a field goal game here. Give me the Chiefs though; I think they win this outright. So I want the four points here. So I'll go opposite, uh, side of the uh, fence from you there. Uh, can't, uh, the San Francisco 49ers are hosting the Detroit lions a little bit larger spread, uh, in this one, the 49ers at home against the lions laying seven points.
1: Yeah, it's a big line there um you know purdy did not look good last week and and the lions you know with the story that they are but they're a fantastic team and so well coached uh, but they are going to be on the road in this one away from that you know the home crowd they were feeding off of in detroit i'll say the lions cover but the 49ers advance to the super bowl they win this game
0: Man, what's going to happen with Debo in this one? What a huge, mm. what a huge piece of... of I think he's going
1: to play. I, mean, I think he's going to give it a chance. Yeah. Uh,
0: what a huge piece of what they do, especially after the catch. Man, that guy is so good in in, in providing yak uh, and all like that. I think the Lions are obviously a great story. Uh, I just, I think the 49ers are the better team, top to bottom, especially, you know, look at Fred Warner on a defensive side of the football there. Uh I think this is the one that's not so close. Uh, I think the the 49ers win this by more than a touchdown here. I'll be rooting for the Lions because I think it's such a great story uh, overall, but I think the 49ers are too much in here. So uh, give me the 49ers and lay the seven points in this one, Alex.
1: All right, good deal. All right, Dave, let's get to some reader emails and close out today's show.
0: All right, let me see if I can pull some up here real quick. Uh, We have... Brian Tallini writes in, in terms of searching for coaches and, and the interview process, the hot names are naturally teams that are usually coming off successful and pro- productive seasons. These are typically coaches that in many cases had the most talent to work with. Do you feel it poses a challenge to differentiate between someone who can maximize talent? Available and someone who relied on talent available. Now you guys don't have inside info on how coaches are nailed down and selected, but do you think coaching ability is compared on an on an unlevel playing field? He says Thomas Brown struggled getting Bryce Young acclimated to the NFL, while Jared Johnson seemed to be a great fit helping C.J. Stroud. This certainly doesn't mean Johnson would be the hot, the better hire, but most fans would believe this. I mean, it's 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 a great question mm-hmm. at its core. And I don't, I don't have a great answer to it, but I mean, I, uh, I mean, I, I think somewhere in this e- e- email, I think is the key, uh, differentiate between someone who can maximize talent available and someone who relied on talent available. I, mean, I, I think that's a great point in the, e- in the email. I don't, I don't have the perfect answer of how to you know, you obviously want someone to come in that can maximize the talent on your roster uh, and have a vision to work around what you have, you know, uh, under contract and on the field.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic question. And there's really no clear, you know, crystallized answer that we can provide.
0: I will tell you, people will get caught up here with, man, look at, I don't want anything to do with anything to come out of the Panthers.
1: Sure. That, that'll that be the reaction. Absolutely.
0: That that's, that's the, that's the uh, hot take fan. Look at this thing, man, uh, Panthers were a mess. I don't, I don't want anything to come out of there.
1: Right. And, you know, to some extent, that's understandable, um, you know, because you had a young offense and, you know, they, they couldn't make it work. But the question is, how much does a guy like Thomas Brown get blamed for that? There are so many layers. You know, he didn't have full play calling duties. He doesn't build the roster. They're a young team, they're a rebuilding team, etc. cetera. So the, the, the comment that stuck out to me was, you know, about. The unlevel playing field. And that's true. It's always going to be, it's never going to be perfectly level in sports. There's always going to be teams that have advantages and situations that are more advantageous than than others. That's why the interviews matter. That's why they hire the interviews. They don't just hire the guy that had the most productive offense. They never talk to him. You got to talk about what your vision is, how you coach, how you teach, you know, your your philosophy. If you were hired to be the Steelers OC, how would you run things? How do you see our roster? How do you incorporate things? What's your plan to turn this offense around? So You know, obviously, you're judged on results, and that that's a component of it. But you got to get to know the person, the coach, and how they're going to handle you because their results in Carolina and in Houston matter less because they're coming to Pittsburgh and they're working with you guys. So, what happened last year with another totally you know different organization, different franchise matters you know less. How can you translate your skills to to make Pittsburgh the best offense they can be? And you find out a lot of that throughout the interview process.
0: And I think the other good part uh, of this and you know, you'd like to hear Mike Tomlin maybe ask this directly. How do you think coaching ability is compared on an unlevel playing field?
1: Yeah. Again, it'd be, you know, it's no easy answer to that. Um, again, I think that's why you just go talk to them and you compare how did this guy interview versus this guy, because you're going to ask the, these all, all these OCs similar questions and you can kind of compare the answers on, on that sense. It'll be level from where you talk to them and how they approach your team, how they prepare and what insight they have and, and that kind of stuff. So, again, that's why the interview process is so critical.
0: Brian, I think you have great questions here. I don't think we have, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I think it is is kind of overarching questions that each team has to answer, you know.
1: Yeah, these are things all teams wrestle with. Uh, there, there is nobody that probably has a great answer to a great question, but that's why sports is sports and that's why it's unpredictable. And this is not a science. If this was a science, we would have an exact answer. Two plus two equals four. That's not a math equation. It's an art and there's gray area, there's projections. You're You never know what you're going to get with the hire, but you got to make a call at some point and pick the guy that you think has the best chance to work out.
0: All right, Seth writes in, what does Terrell Austin do? Hey, guys, just trying to decide how I feel about the Austin extension. I generally do not know what he does. Do you guys have any insight on what his role actually is with Tomlin running the defense?
1: Yeah, again, there's never been an exact layout of this is Trug Austin's job. We believe that Tomlin has a big influence in game planning and certainly on game day play calling. You can probably call Tomlin the de facto play caller in many moments, especially critical ones. Um, but Austin is part of the game planning and, and coordination and kind of leading that defensive coaching room in terms of how they get together and how they watch film and how they prepare. Um, I, I, I think the biggest thing to me, that Austin brought was that turnover takeaway culture. Just watching, I I noted this back in 2019 when he first got hired as kind of an assistant, senior assistant DBs coach, you know, before him, Pittsburgh really didn't do a lot of turnover circuit drills in training camp. They didn't get on the jugs machine that often the DBs in training camp. And I saw Austin implement a lot of those drills, In the camp and, you know, carried over to today. First thing DBs do when they come down to training camp is jugs machine and they'll get on there and catch 20 or so footballs and rotate around and after practice do the same thing. And you've seen Pittsburgh's takeaway numbers, number one in football since Austin was hired in 2019. And you go back to his coaching clinics and that's always such a big point of emphasis for him is taking the football away and being a turnover, you know, heavy Type of defense and 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 obviously the personnel matters. And you traded for Fitzpatrick in twenty nineteen. That helps you take the football away. I get that, but just to me, my outsider perspective is number one thing he's brought is that turnover culture to Pittsburgh, and it's made them consistently one of the most aggressive and ball hawking defenses in football each year the last you know five years.
0: All right. Well, that's a pretty expanded answer there. And, and I imagine the pushback being, you know, look fan base, they didn't get the results that they wanted this year. Uh, uh, and and they look at certain situations where yardage is concerned and all like that. But the fact of the matter is, uh, uh, when it comes to points allowed, this defense did good overall. Uh, red zone takeaways is something that we talked about uh, quite a bit. It would have been nice had the defense had some help on the offensive side of football to not be on the field so much. I think there are, there is, uh, at least from, from personnel usage that we've talked about before, it would have been nice to see guys, you know, A, maybe Joey Porter Jr. seeing the field a little bit earlier than he did. I understand why they didn't, but uh, that will be a pushback there. Uh, the pushback we talked about, you know, why couldn't you manage a, 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 a way to get maybe uh, guys like Watt or Highsmith off the field a tad bit more? Why couldn't you've got guys like Benton on the field a little bit more? Mm-hmm. But but then in the defense that we've talked about, you know, quite a few times, man, this, 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 this team was just gutted up. Up at 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 at, at linebacker, at inside linebacker, in safety, and for the most part, they did a good job in overcoming it. You know, the, it was a it was a linebacker of a week and a safety of the week, you know, kind kind of situation. But I mean, to get two guys off the couch, so to speak, in Miles Jack and and uh, Eric Rowe, and still have some level of competence. Competency when it came to the defense, I think, is pretty impressive, and I don't think you can look at that and not give Terrell Austin some 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 level of credit.
1: Yeah, he should. And this is not to say that it's perfect or there aren't issues. There are certainly complaints you can have about this defense and the scheme and the personnel usage. And you know, they slow played Porter, which I think, in hindsight, was probably the right play overall. But there were times where you were wanting to see Benton be more than just a base nose tackle and, you know, to see Herbig get some more playing time and have a, a, a better rotation at an outside linebacker over the course of some games. Some of that is positional coach based throughout the game and, and not always on, on the coordinator. Um, but just on, on the whole, I didn't see anything that said, this guy has to get fired or get moved on. And if you brought a new DC in, things would, would appreciably get better. And there are some really valid reasons to keep him ba- based on body of work and based on the turnover things I talked about. So all that told, and again, understanding Tomlin's influence on this defense, uh, I'm more than fine with Austin returning.
0: All right, Steel Pastor writes in, OC and offensive line. David Knox, all, uh, all your efforts are appreciated by this West Coaster not situated near the Steelers stronghold. I'm still currently uh, on everything South Side related. Thank you. Uh, the word is that Mike Munchek wants to coach again. He writes, do you think the Steelers should wrap him up as soon as possible. In addition to rumor is that a as O-line coach may be connected with Arthur Smith as an OC. What do you think, by the way, what is Pat Myers current contract situation? Did not he just complete his two year contract? Thank you for all your continued efforts. It's hard to no, know there's, there's so little information put out there as far as contracts of coaches go specifically with the Steelers. Uh, uh as far as the Munchak, Arthur Smith stuff, I mean, I, I know that's circulating as a rumor. I know there was a report by the by a Tennessee beat writer saying that Munchak would, uh, is and has been open to returning, but I think the way that article was kind of framed, it was maybe more towards if uh, had uh, uh, Vrabel gone back to, I think, Tennessee uh, there, uh, remember that, you know, at least in, in, in my memory that Munchek went the direction he went to be around his daughter more, right. In, mm-hmm. in, 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 in the Denver area. I do, I, I do believe the aspect that Munchek would potentially like to coach again in, in the right situation. Do I think that it would be Pittsburgh and going, you know, obviously coming back, back to the area and all where he does have some roots and all like that. I, I, it is, it, would, would he tie himself just to a guy like Arthur Smith? That's that's where I struggle the most with with this kind of rumor out there. Is I don't want to go any, you know, the 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 inference that I want to tie myself to Arthur Smith.
1: Yeah, I mean, I you know that that. The only place I've heard that was just rumored, I think, from the fan, from Pony. I've not seen that, and he didn't say the source. He said it was not a report; it was a rumor, and where that comes from, I have no earthly idea. Um, so, and I'm, I'm not even sure, you know, why Munchak would have to feel attached to Arthur Smith. Anyway, the, the reporting back in, in uh, like two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, was here, here's the headline from uh, uh, Titans website: uh, Mike Munchak would consider coaching the Titans offensive line again. Um, Munchak, who lives in the Denver area and has not worked since his three year term with the Broncos that concluded in 2021, said if Rabel had an opening, he would be interested in that. He'd also consider a handful of select other openings around the league based on head coaches in geography. That's all they say about anything beyond that. And the fact that he lives in Denver, obviously with his family, and I think he has family still out West wouldn't suggest he would come back out to Pittsburgh on on the eastern side of things. Meyer, I don't know his contract status. Uh, I don't know if he's returning. I mean, I think he's going to return based on the reporting, but there is no current opening for the O-line coach in terms of them announcing any sort of move there with Pat Meyer. So based on all that, I mean, Munchak, it sounds like it was more of a rate of Rabel thing who probably will not be head coach this year based on him losing out on jobs, maybe in Seattle. I don't know. Um, But, but point is, you know, Munchak does come back. I'm not seeing any sort of connection of him doing so in Pittsburgh. Would you take him back? I mean, I obviously, he's, a, he's an amazing <laughs> coach. Yeah, I, but, you know, I think Pat Meyer has done a good job. And I, gotta, I don't, know, don't know what his contract status is, um, but, I mean, I'm not, you know, if, if Meyer was leaving and walking out the door and I, had, and I had an opening there, then, yeah, Munchak would be my first call.
0: I mean, yeah, I would, I would, I would welcome Munchak back with open arms, uh, for sure. But would you,
1: you know, if Meyer was under contract, would you fire Pat Meyer and replace him with Mike Munchak? I mean, look, that's kind I, of I, I kind said throughout this.
0: Look, this team's got to get away from these slow starts, yada yada. Uh, uh, I, I, I would have no issue if if Munch, I would have no issue moving on from Pat if Munchak wanted to come back. I'll, I'll just put that out there.
1: Okay. I don't, don't I don't think
0: it goes that way, but. Sure.
1: The only concern is they've had such a turnover with O-line coaches, and this line has just kind of gotten used to Pat Myers teaching, and then you have to throw all that out the window and, and go with Munchak, and these guys have never worked with Munchak before. All the guys that did in Pittsburgh are gone, Pouncey and Foster, et cetera, so there may be some growing pains to have to relearn a new system under another. I mean, they'd have how many O-line coaches in the last six years, like five or six of them. That's heavy turnover That is can certainly create some issues.
0: Uh, Rob in SoCal writes and listen to every show religiously. I enjoy everything from the Steelers info to rabbit holes to salary cap numbers. I have a request and a question I really like during the season when you guys bring on the beat writers of the uh, 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 opposing team on Fridays. Is it possible to do this each Friday during the offseason for each team in the league to have an idea what is happening around the NFL? He says, my question is, do you think, here's a good one. Uh, well, first and foremost, uh, you know, maybe when it comes to AFC North, uh uh guys maybe maybe we'll check in with them maybe each once during the pre draft process to see maybe if we can get an idea what you know what direction those teams are going you know in the draft maybe we'll think about doing something like that but it's going to be kind of hard to do you know an opposing beat rider you know every friday or anything along those lines but we'll we'll, we'll we'll give thought maybe of paying more attention maybe at least to the afc north uh guys uh, you know, around the pre-draft process or something like that. Maybe, maybe, maybe we can do something along those lines.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good idea.
0: Uh, here's a good question. What do what what do you two think about Frank Reich as a as a viable candidate for for OC?
1: I mean, you know, the head coach thing has not worked out for Frank Reich the right. last couple of years. And I know that's a difference between being a head coach and an OC. I mean, obviously him calling the plays in Carolina last year, the first half until he got canned didn't work either. I, I just think there's been a lot of negativity around him lately. Maybe some of that's unfair based on circumstance. I, I don't know, but you know, I, and there's experience probably not someone high on my list though.
0: But does it, would he check the boxes?
1: Yeah. I mean, he checks the boxes in terms of, you know, having the experience and quarterback background and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, he checks those, those boxes, but I mean, heck, the people Pittsburgh have talked to haven't really checked those boxes. Right. So how much do those boxes even seem to matter right now?
0: Well, we'll find out once the indecision uh, mm-hmm. is made. I don't, uh, you know, the recency bias has you kind of slanted to wondering how viable of a, of a, of a candidate Frank Reich is, especially coming out of a situation with a young quarterback.
1: Yeah, I just feel like that's a dude that probably needs a year off just to go you know, sit on a beach somewhere and just chill. And then we try to get back into coaching in 2025. Um, I know the stuff in Carolina, from what I read, was really toxic. I don't know you know, how much that was created or, or you know, Reich being the catalyst of, but the culture was not great. Not that Reich would be controlling the culture in Pittsburgh as the OC, but they would just felt like there was a lot of A lot of negativity, not just on the field, but in the locker room and what Pittsburgh just went through with all the negativity around, you know, Canada and, and everything that happened this year. I just, I don't think that's the guy you want at this point in time for Pittsburgh.
0: All right, I got a long one here from Jay. Jay, I'm not gonna be able to get through all this. This is extremely long. Uh I'll hit uh the first notion, the the first bullet point here. He says, I have a few gripes, not with you guys, but in general. Number one, why is more not being seriously discussed about our guys going to other teams and playing better. Dotson and Kendrick did extremely better uh, on their new teams. Uh, Yes, we are all happy for them, but it speaks about how much (laughs) – how much our bad coaching is. Uh, what other conclusion can be made, he asked. They played Dotson at the wrong side for no reason and and, and got nothing out of him. Kendrick seemed to be, seen better on the Texans line than he was with us. I think it's a huge deal and needs to be discussed. Why is this happening? What is the reason? Is it Pat Meyer? Is it the OC? I think it is a huge deal if our bad players go to other teams and become good players. What do you think? I think, look, we, and we had, uh, we, we talked a lot about what Kevin Dotson has, has done over in the Rams. Now, this is uh, Steelers Depot, and sometimes we make it Ravens. De- you know, I understand sometimes people get upset that we spend too much time talking about what other teams do, but I think I think we gave fair share of, of, of coverage to Kevin Dotson. First and foremost, it was easy to see because of the direction that the team had went during the offseason with, Sayamalo. Uh and obviously with having Dotson on the other side, it was e and, and with uh uh Dotson having uh the proven performance escalator and thing things and, and kind of seemingly falling out of grace, if you will, it was easy to see that dotson was probably not long for that roster uh overall. Now, uh I you know we You go back to what we talked about with Dotson coming out of the draft and, and the Steelers getting him and all that time spent at, 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 at right guard and him cutting his teeth initially uh, at right guard wasn't awful as far as the, the Steelers' con- uh, concern goes. Uh, yes, oh my quick takeaway is, yes, it would be curious to know Oh. Uh, you know, was it was it a mere position a side switch that caused the downfall in kevin dot with kevin dotson uh uh in pittsburgh and and how much did coaching trying to take him down maybe a more technical uh, aspect as a, letting him, as opposed to letting him just be a, a, a mauler and going off of instincts, how much that, yeah, that, that does. And we did talk about how good he looked in, in as far as the Rams go, as far as Kendrick green and the Texans go, let's see more tape on him.
1: Yeah. He got hurt a couple games in against Pittsburgh. It was like his third or fourth game, I think playing for them. I mean, he was playing better. I, I agree with that. Um, but it was a, a small sample size. I, I mean, they are fair questions. Um, I I wouldn't put it on Pat Meyer though. Uh, Dotson, when Meyer came in in twenty two, had been an established left guard at that point, and Green was drafted in twenty one, and by twenty two, he already felt like they're about ready to move on from the guy anyway. So, and they signed Mason Cole. Um, I wouldn't put that on 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 Meyer, but there are there are fair questions about the evaluation of the offensive line. Are they putting guys in positions to succeed? you can certainly argue to me, that's more concerning than even like, you know, Splane doing well, you know, that's to me, not indicative of Pittsburgh, you know, anything negative towards them. But I think offensively, their philosophy, are they putting guys in positions to succeed? I think they didn't do that with Dodson. They did not do that with Kendrick Green. And there were some concerns about Broderick Jones, about him being at right tackle. Can they get him back to left tackle and put him in in his natural home? Are they going to go down the same road as they went? Dodson. So yeah, there, there is, I think validity to that, to at least asking that question.
0: Sure, and and we, uh, uh, and, and once again, we saw the writing on the wall with what was likely to happen with with with, with Kevin Dotson. Uh, with but with all that said, we we went out of our way to say that this is a right side guy.
1: Sure. So I w- I would make the question smaller from just are we should we be concerned about these guys having success elsewhere? Like a Keller Witherspoon having a, a good year with the Rams. That doesn't to me, set up alarm bells. He's always been a hot and cold player. He was good in Pittsburgh his first year, then collapsed his second year. He might be terrible next year based on his career track. But to me, the offensive line, are they evaluating those guys properly when they draft and develop them? I think that is a a smaller question in terms of the big picture of like, why is the coaching bad about all players? But it is a really important and critical question to ask.
0: Sure. I, I think it's concerning what you see happening with Dotson.
1: Yeah, because I mean, Dotson credited... A large reason why he w- was more successful with the Rams was him going back to right guard. I think you're right that some of the scheme stuff was a bit freer, a bit more open for him. That probably allowed him to just kind of play it was talent more, but he cites going back to right guard as a core and central reason why he was better this year in a in a, uh, Los Angeles.
0: Yeah, he never looked comfortable at left guard with the Steelers, period. Penalties and everything.
1: And then with Green, I mean, I don't think... I, I don't just, think there's enough pick. there.
0: Cut cut yeah. Just just c- come come see me come come re ask this question about Kendrick Green after this next season. Let's see how much he plays and how he looks. There's but just uh, he was better in, uh, you know, in the limited time that he was, uh, at left guard with, mm-hmm. uh, and once again, that was his more natural position right. coming out of Illinois. So, uh, yeah, uh, uh and, and obviously we're, we, we got an interesting crossroads with, with, uh, Broderick Jones right now. Uh, is this team too centric on, uh, position flexibility?
1: Right. Or trying to move a guy from his college position and now you have a projection there, even more so of a projection, not only going from college to the NFL, of course, a projection, but then a different position at the NFL level. And maybe they're a little too casual and just moving those guys around. I'm okay with Jones being the right tackle this year. I I mean, it was a net positive for Pittsburgh to replace a core four and he got benched for the whole, you know, whatever he said. And so they kind of, I guess, a move had to be made there. Um, but I think with the off season, there were chances to to reset and regroup and reevaluate and move Jones back over. That should be the right decision. With Green, it was a misevaluation. I think from a personnel standpoint, a drafting standpoint, they felt this guy was a day one ready center. He was none of those things, and so that is concerning uh, for sure. So, yeah. Bottom line is, to me, it's less about this overall big picture of all, why do all these players leave Pittsburgh and have success? I don't, the Spillane stuff, the Witherspoon stuff doesn't, doesn't concern me. The O-line stuff though, there's a a clearer trend line there that, that is a a valid concern.
0: All right. Well put, Uh, Jay, I'm sorry. This is just, I mean, your other two points uh, just, just too long to get to in the amount of time, uh, and we're short-staffed uh, on depot uh, today with everybody out of town. So we got to get to work in other areas here. So maybe present these in future questions here, uh, maybe one at a time and, 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 and shorter and more concise, and maybe we can get to them at all. So uh, anything else to add, Alex, uh, exciting uh, weekend of football on tap and uh, excited to see some of these measurables coming out of uh, Texas for these uh, Shrine Bowl guys. We'll get those up on the website as soon as possible. Should have some interviews and, And get an idea of, uh, you know, all these guys probably meet with the Steelers at some point in all these Mm all-star games. But uh, we'll have, uh, we got some people asking some pretty specific questions about some of these uh, people that you'll be reading interviews about uh, these prospects over the course of the next week and all. So uh, anything else to add, Alex?
1: Nope. Come back on Monday. uh, See what's going on. Recap to the, uh, react and recap the championship games and go from there.
0: All right. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter slash X at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, TheTerriblePodcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, SteedersDepot.com, hit the donate button up right. Navigation bar. Also, if you like an ad-free version of the site, SteedersDepot.com, find the ad-free button in the directions. Go that go that way. We thank you, thank you, thank you for sticking with us on into the off season here and visiting the site as well, too. Uh, Alex, great show. I enjoy talking football with you any day, whatever the, the subject matter is. Uh, and as always, thanks for listening to The Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex.